0: The views and opinions expressed in this series are those of the speakers and do not reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent or partner with. What's treading? Getting a stalled economy moving in the right direction. Welcome to another episode of What's Trading, getting a stalled economy moving in the right direction. Now get this, Ubuntu meets technology meets agriculture, bridging that gap between the haves and the have-nots and everybody lifting as they rise. Welcome to one of the most exciting innovators on the African continent. Thank you. Jahil Oliver, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Talk to me about how technology is driving change in agriculture.
1: Well, we work in um, a smallholder agricultural system across the continent. The average plot sizes are below five acres. And so in order to get products and services out to growers who are managing such small plots of land, it really requires a lot of technology, a lot of innovative thinking to ensure you can service such unique growers in a profitable way. Technology has a huge role to play in ensuring these transactions happen at economies of scale
0: i want us to unpack my introduction because i think at the core of what we are doing is the idea of ubuntu an african philosophy that is about i see you i am because you are because Mm -hmm. we are for sure your whole concept takes from those who have and you say to the little guy come along, come and be a
1: part of it. Yeah, for sure. So you think about, um, if you own a tractor in Africa, um, and you're, you're operating that tractor in these areas where the average plot size is one to two acres, you only need your tractor for your field for a day or two out the year, right? What do you do with that excess capacity? And consistent with the philosophy you just described, there's a great opportunity to service farmers in your community while earning some extra cash for yourself. So it's a mutually beneficial way to deliver impact throughout your community while generating income for yourself. Because we've heard of e-hailing for taxis, but for tractors? Yeah, for tractors too. And the interesting thing about tractors You know, a taxi might have a a footprint that expands a city for a tractor. It can expand the entire country, oftentimes even crossing borders, going into neighboring countries. Because you think about the seasonality of agriculture, Um, if a tractor owner really wants to earn maximum revenue with that equipment, they're moving around constantly following the seasons.
0: Give me a sense of the size of your ecosystem from everybody who either provides equipment
1: or who might want to lease it. Yeah, so it starts with our farm equipment owners. We got over 4,000 farm equipment owners who own tractors and combines, and they're the ones responsible for delivering those services. And they're servicing over three and a half million acres of smallholder farmland. So that represents the largest network of its kind across the emerging markets. Um, and it's that linkage between the farm equipment owner and these smallholder farmers is made by an agent who's based in the community using a separate Hello Tractor app to aggregate that demand, make sure it's clustered in tight networks and booking on behalf of farmers who aren't necessarily whipping out their smartphones to do things.
0: What inspired the
1: idea and why was Africa the obvious place to try it? Well, I think Africa has a tremendous amount of business opportunity. Um, I was born and raised in the US, but I've always seen the, the business upside in working in Africa. I think oftentimes, particularly in the U S people have a very philanthropic relationship with Africa, but philanthropy has its place, but there's a very low ceiling to what philanthropy can accomplish, but businesses, especially social businesses that think about both the social impact, the environmental impact while scaling commercially can do a tremendous amount of good. And these are, these are massive problems. And so I wanted to, to work in a market where, I can maximize my time, both financially, but more importantly, from an impact perspective. And so Africa was that place. And it's a huge market, right? Um, Africa has the largest inventory of farmland on Earth. Just under a quarter of all productive farmland is in Africa. But we only represent, you know, less than 2% of global food trade. Right. So when you think about some of these dynamics, there's a huge opportunity for us to stabilize our rural economies, create meaningful employment for our young people, reduce the dependency on imported foods. Right. While feeding not only ourselves as a region, but being net contributors to the global food system. And if we can play a role in that, then I think I would have left a pretty good legacy on this earth.
0: And one of the opportunities that's obvious, of course, is this idea that technology op- often allows yeah. um, us to leapfrog mm-hmm. existing ideas and Absolutely. ways of doing things. Yeah. And what are the opportunities there?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're innovative people. Oftentimes, I mean, you look at agriculture, agriculture where it works globally. You got about five major bread baskets on Earth, right? You got, of course, the U.S. and the, the, the U.S. Midwest and the Canadian prairies. Um, You got Eastern China, Northern India, um, Brazil, um, Ukraine and Russia and the Black Sea ports, although there's some challenges there. Um, These are markets that are very subsidized. Um, Governments invest a lot of public sector money into agriculture to establish them as these net contributors to the global food system. I believe Africa can also be net contributors to the global food system and be the sixth global breadbasket, but it's going to require innovation because we don't have the the budgets to outspend the other five breadbaskets. But as I mentioned earlier, we're creative people and I think we can innovate our innovate our way to those successful outcomes. So can you talk to me about
0: advancements in technology Mm -hmm. that are going to allow improved farming practices
1: that'll give us an opening in the door? Yeah, I mean, well, it starts with, you know, mobile devices and having access to a cell phone. Um, You know, a smartphone gives you internet connectivity. It gives you GPS, a lot of basic technologies that can unlock a lot of transparency and efficiencies. In marketplace platforms, we're a marketplace platform. Uh, But because digital literacy is so low, we decided on a one-to-many model where we engage with agents who can work within their communal networks to identify the farmers that need the same services at the same time in the same vicinity. And that one individual can book on behalf of the farmers in their community and that does two things for Hello Tractor. It allows us to tap into the trust based networks that that person has established over many, many years, being a member of that community. We can't organically build that, right? And farming is all about trust. So we tap into that trust network. The second piece is aggregating demand, right? I can't send my tractor two, 300 kilometers down the road to service one acre. Right, that's just not an efficient way to run this business. But if I send my tractor two, three hundred kilometers down the road, and I got four hundred farmers growing on an acre apiece, that's four hundred acres. That's two months worth of work, right? That's good business, and that business is enabled by that community-based agent, and they're based there. It's an entrepreneurial job for them. Um, they're paid on commission. But we launched a tractor finance program last year that allows those agents, when their network gets to a certain level, we actually can finance them to become tractor owners themselves, giving that young entrepreneur an opportunity to own a $40,000, $50,000 asset, transform their lives, the lives, their family's trajectory, right, with that opportunity. And it's an opportunity that they earned. And it's all about
0: using data to make those smart Absolutely. business
1: choices, as you allude to, in terms of
0: resource management. Yeah. When yeah. we talk about precision agriculture,
1: what does that mean to you in this context? So, I mean, it's a full spectrum. Precision agriculture in broad acre farming is placing the right amount of inputs in the right places at the right time, using some of the most sophisticated technology on earth. And some of our partners and investors like John Deere have really done a great job of innovating in that space. When we think about precision technology in our business, we think about it a little differently because you can't bring the the cost of that type of equipment down to the small holder level yet. So we think about how to supplement what the most advanced sensor technologies um, can do with creative uses of data, as you mentioned. So an example of that is we have a lot of geospatial data throughout our applications. We use satellite imagery to not only predict where demand is, Um, and where we should allocate equipment, but also some basic insights on our farmers fields to help them make better decisions around input usage, when they should plant to optimize their yields and their productivity, and ultimately their profitability. How are you going to
0: integrate artificial intelligence in all of these solutions?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's already there. We wouldn't have called it artificial intelligence a year or two ago, but now that 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 uh, terminology is in vogue. We can call it artificial intelligence and hopefully trade at a higher multiple. (laughs) But I mean, data is woven throughout our platform. I'll give you an example. If I own a tractor and I send it to, to service farmers in a community far off, I'm managing that tractor either through the Hello Tractor mobile app or web app. Right now, how do I know how much work the tractor did? My operator could easily undercut me and say, hey, boss, I only did 10 acres today when they really did 20. Right. What we did was we deploy algorithms that take the GPS data points generated on a device that we place onto the tractor. Right. And we analyze those data points to distinguish between work on a field based on the sweeping motions going back and forth and driving on a road, which is a linear line of, of dots. And there's a few other layers of analysis, but it helps a tractor owner remotely monitor and manage their equipment. So if you go out there and say, I only did 10 acres as a tr- as my driver and I'm looking in the app and I see you did 20 acres, I can hold you accountable for that, right? And that's an application of artificial intelligence that we we did we launched that feature about 7 years ago before we were calling it artificial intelligence we just called it machine learning. <laughs> but now if I say artificial intelligence people in give me a couple extra dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but is there a
0: threat that with the advancement of yeah. these technologies and I suppose automation on yeah. some level that the human factor in fact may be entirely removed
1: or at least greatly reduced well i think there's a lot of hype i mean tech is good for hyping things up um there's a that's a far off place when artificial intelligence is replacing um competent um trust networks that i'm describing that exist in our business um, but with that said, it is our duty to our customers and the broader market to make sure everybody in our ecosystem is upskilling themselves. So we have robust trainings for tractor operators, our booking agents, tractor technicians that we deploy in service of our financed equipment, tractor owners, and how to grow in their business. Because I believe you have to make those necessary investments. It's our duty in the private sector, also in the public sector as well. But as we know, um, in this part of the world, the public sector is, is fairly stretched. So we have to be responsible as, as private sector uh, participants in the market to make sure that we're preparing the labor force for the next wave and the next thing to come. Right, I come from a a part of the United States that was large. The labor markets were largely displaced when manufacturing was sent abroad. So I'm very sensitive to this topic. And I want to make sure we can learn from those mistakes and prepare our labor force in this market for this next wave of technology. Artificial intelligence is going to be no different. So whether we call it machine learning or yeah.
0: artificial intelligence. Let's call it
1: artificial intelligence. I'll, tell, I'll take you out to dinner. But the, but the role of
0: automation and, yeah. in, in, for example, drones, yeah. uh, there's a space for that, particularly, of course, in places that are remote, uh, that are hard to reach, yeah. where perhaps it may even be dangerous to involve Absolutely. human
1: activity. There's ample opportunity there, sure. Huge. Huge. And, and we're not, we would never get in the way of innovation. But I think we have to think long and hard about how to ensure the fruits of those innovations are shared equitably. And that's just being intentional about our business model. And if, if we can grow more on that plot of land, we want the owner and the, the worker on that land to disproportionately benefit.
0: So when it comes to emerging trends, for example, in terms of farm management software, I mean, you've already alluded to some of what is possible. I Mm -hmm. suppose, as you say, take people with you. But we also know the continent is uh, rapidly urbanizing. And will agriculture ultimately
1: become a niche sector in economies on the continent? I think it depends. Um, There's a heritage around land ownership. Uh, in many of the markets on on the continent, that looks similar to uh, markets like Japan, but then you have markets like South Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia, um, Tanzania, where broadacre farming is um, more applicable, and farming is looked at as more of a business. So I think you you do have a diversity. Um, And we want to be relevant across that full spectrum. Um, In markets where it is kind of thought to be more of a a niche industry for a very small group of folks, that's okay. Um, As long as their productivity does things like reduce the import bill on food, create more budget space uh, to invest in populations to become more educated. um, in other areas of the economy. Right. Um, and that naturally happens across most agricultural markets. You have fewer and fewer farmers, but more food being produced. Right. Um, and, and as people urbanize, you know, we had that during our industrial revolution in the early 1900s, um, in the United States, I don't see that, you know, that trend looking that different here on the continent. So you've
0: spoken about your solutions. What innovations have you encountered that are homegrown from the continent that have made you think,
1: oh, there's something there? Oh, it's so many. And I'm so inspired by these young innovators, Um, some younger than myself. I like to consider myself as a young man. (laughs) Um, But I mean, off the top of my head, um, you got folks like Pula, they're doing crop insurance. And they're doing it in a way that distributes risk across a very broad portfolio of farmers in many different countries. Um, So you don't have these risk concentrations that tend to make insurance in agriculture quite expensive and unaffordable for smallholder farmers. They figured out some good stuff there. Um, We work with firms like Atlas AI on um, satellite imagery and using satellite imagery in really creative ways. Um, Farmer line in Ghana, young Ghanaian entrepreneur doing some ma- amazing things in input, sale and distribution, um, crossing that last mile and protecting the integrity of products going into farmers fields. I mean, I can just keep going. It is just so amazing to see what young people are doing across the continent. And and what's really amazing about it is You know, we're not operating in the most robust capital markets. So a lot of these innovators are bootstrapping their own businesses. Many of them are, you know, they're supplementing the lack of capital with passion and grit. And um, with just a, a pinch more capital, I think the market takes off.
0: We often think of technology perhaps as a way to mitigate against environmental disaster, but can it do the opposite and actually
1: cause problems? Absolutely. I mean, it's a double-edged sword. Absolutely. Um, Even in our business, um, you know, typically people think about mechanization of agriculture as an introduction of technology. Um, There's a right way to do it. There's a wrong way to do it. Um, if you use a three disc plow, um, that's something we're trying to get our farmers to move away from. It it releases a lot of carbon into the atmosphere, greenhouse gases. Um, it disrupts the soil profile and, um, reduces soil health and fertility. So we're trying to move them into more regenerative forms of farming, um, including no-till, minimal till and ripping. And, you know, that's a journey. You don't, you don't do it overnight, Um, but we think it's the right thing to do. So we invest there, but absolutely. I mean, technology across the board, right. You can have nuclear energy or you can have a nuclear bomb. Right. And, and it's just, it's just, you can have a hammer for nails or for bashing people's head. Like that's a very brutal example, but you get my point. And I think what we, we just want to be on the correct side of technology and, um, I think so far we've, we've, I think we can safely say we have been. We can obviously
0: talk about exciting innovations and developments, and that's to be welcomed. But Mm -hmm. we also know there are areas that are under-resourced and Mm underdeveloped, And we're now expecting people to adapt technologies in a fast-changing world. How do you deal with resistance, perhaps even mistrust Mm -hmm. of the tech
1: that is coming up? Well, first of all, I believe some of that mistrust is warranted and we have to be empathetic to um, what's happened historically, especially on the continent with people coming in, air dropping products and services, not providing adequate support. Um, upskilling for the proper usage of technology and and, and new products and services. And based on it's, what people need on the ground. And even based on what people need, right? Think about how many products get innovated outside of market and then just get dropped in. And we know, you know, Africa is unique, right? Even saying Africa, right? Like how much diversity across the continent in in one given country. I was last week, I was in Durban. This week, I mean, you know, we're, we're shooting this from Johannesburg. Think about the cultural differences and um, agroecological differences from an agricultural perspective. And that's markets. just one country. Yeah, And that's one country. Right. Language differences. I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. It's fascinating. Um, so you have to start with um, the, the global community has not had the best track record in how it engages in the region. Right. And with that recognition comes a need for patience when you're dealing with communities of folks who are rightfully skeptical. Uh, but that's where tapping into the trust network matters and honoring the trust that's being shared with us as a company comes in because our brand and our reputation in that community will make or break us as a company. And so we're very privileged to have that trust. And we're going to do everything in our power to protect it, and it's that means sometimes growing a little slower, being very methodical about what you choose to introduce and how you introduce it, and bringing the community along versus telling them what they should be doing. And I suppose a core
0: principle or way of looking at it for you would be the idea of partnership with communities. Yep. You are there to build together with the people that you are servicing. Precisely. Yep.
1: Yep. And and make sure they win first, right? create value, let the community realize that value. And then over time, if you can consistently deliver on that value proposition, you skim a little bit off the top and nobody noticed, nobody, nobody cares, but rushing to extract value before you can confidently say, look, that person was growing, uh, 20 bushels an acre. And now they're up to 50. I can, I can afford to take a point or two off of that. To justify doing business and they won't mind. But if that person isn't having any meaningful gain in doing business with you and you're rushing to, you know, take some margin from them, that's unfair. And so we try to stay away from that. We, of course, hear much of
0: the youth dividend that the continent is expected to Mm -hmm. have in this century. Where are the opportunities to target young people with new ideas, with new innovations, yeah. and obviously to to play a
1: meaningful role in agriculture? Well, first of all, you got to remove the drudgery. Most of the farmers on the continent now aren't farming by choice; they're farming because they have to, and there aren't alternatives. As soon as as soon as you present an alternative, the first thing they do is leave the farm. Right. And so what we're doing is attracting these young people back to the farm by introducing farming in a new way with technology, with mechanization, Um, bring a little glamour, a little swagger to it. You know, young people like to show off. They like to live successful lives and the case we're trying to make is you can do that in agriculture. We're not asking you to sacrifice, <laughs> you right? Make farming Instagrammable. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think the culture of our company is, I mean, and you'll see it when you go to our offices, when you see our hubs, um, we try and make it attractive. Now we're responsible. We're not reckless in how we invest our capital. We're a small company, so we have to be prudent, but- we we also recognize that the future of the industry is going to be built on the backs of young people and so you got to get them excited about the work so with the young the number of young people mm-hmm. that
0: are coming up on the continent meeting the technology that you are bringing i mean just give me give me a a, a future scenario if you will of what is likely to happen in the next 20 30 years in yeah. your
1: space. Well, I mean what I see is first of all, we close the mechanization gap, right? Um and with that, we are able to rally these last mile communities around access to mechanization, which we also think is a great conduit to deliver other goods and services, right? I don't know, like Amazon started with books. You know, we're starting with tractors. We don't want to sell everything. But we think that tractors are in such high demand, right? That it rallies these communities to organize and through that organization, you can effectively sell seed, fertilizer, crop care, trading, right? Because now you have a lot of grain coming online in one community. I can drive a truck out to one location and fill it up much easier than going from field to field to field, right? Um, Blindly. And so through that organization in the market um, that these young people are playing a, a critical role in. Um, we think we can make the agricultural system work better and untap that potential. Agriculture right now represents, you know, 40% of the continent's GDP, 60% of the labor force is engaged in agriculture. So it's already important, right? And that's that's without a question. Um, but how do we use it as an asset? to stimulate broader base growth. I think making these kind of smart investments, getting young people excited about it is how you do it. From a policy point
0: of view, Mm -hmm. are there obvious wins? I mean, we have of course now the continental free trade agreement that's Mm -hmm. going to allow a much easier flow of goods and services across the continent.
1: Mm -hmm. Are policymakers backing your kind of innovation? I think so. I think they're handicapped by um, the challenges in the budgets Um, so what we'd look for from a policy perspective is enabling environments. And I think, you know, it's somewhat of a symbiotic relationship. If we can increase farmer productivity, then we don't have to import food. You know, where I come from, where I live in, I live in Kenya, Kenya last year imported $2 billion worth of food. We had a debt service of $4 billion and the government is under a lot of pressure be, to meet that debt service now imagine if we didn't import two billion dollars worth of food we would have two billion dollars of hard currency of fx earnings that we could use to pay off debt and comfortably stabilize our currency and that creates a flywheel effect because when you're stable when your currency is stabilized your cost of lending goes down. When cost of lending goes down, you see people invest in more technology, which stimulates more growth, right? Which stabilizes the currency even further, right? And so we think that our role is catalytic and the symbiotic nature of the relationship between what we do and what the government needs, I think aligns us quite well, but we have to be realistic about the limitations of our governments. And we can't look to the government to invest what they just simply do not have. And I think even the conversation around corruption is overstated, right? Yes, it's there. Yes, it's problematic. Yes, it needs to be rooted out. But there's also a lot of things that those of us in the private sector um, operating could do to within our domain. Uh, to solve some of these problems. And that's where we focus, right? Because I have no idea how to be an elected official. I have no interest. It's a hard job. (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) But but, I mean, uh, on a macro
0: level, Mm -hmm. surely now the time has come for conversations to be had about the so-called African solutions for African problems that take into account all the social justice questions that, of course, you're also concerned about.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. And and I think that things are trending in the right direction. Unifying Africa as a trade block, as you rightfully pointed out, is in my mind, low hanging fruit. The free flow of people across the continent, another area for low hanging fruit. Right. We, We are stronger as a unified body. We have talent from every corner of this continent allowing that talent to move freely to go where there's a need for that specific skill set same thing with food commodities right you have certain parts of the of the african continent that's competitive in rice you have other parts competitive in barley and wheat and maize allowing that those food stuffs to move freely and allowing us to even trade in our own currencies i think can move the needle in very meaningful ways and that's something that I think can be accomplished in a very short period of time. Of course, there's going to be political complexity to that, but I think it's achievable, and it could it could do some some a lot of good.
0: Already, your network, from what you've described, is quite sizable. But I mean, the sky's the limit. How far do your ambitions go in terms of you know growing it cross borders, and 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 how quickly are you going to scale up to what's
1: possible? Yeah, so I think right now we're in in Africa, within our Africa business, and that's our primary region, although we do operate in Asia and the Americas. But within Africa, we're in 15 countries, um, but we don't measure it by the number of countries. We measure it by the number of acres, as I mentioned earlier. And so from that perspective, it will take multiple lifetimes for us to exhaust the full potential. I think our role as, as innovators, as a small company, is to prove the use case. And then there are much larger companies, um, much larger institutional investors who can step in and take this journey to the finish line. Um, we just wanted to prove that it was possible. And I think we're pretty close there. Um, and we've activated the private markets, right? We just announced AbSA Bank made a large investment in our tractor finance facility. Uh, commercial banks in Africa traditionally have not been investing in agriculture. Less than two percent of commercial bank lending goes into agriculture and certainly not the unbanked populations that we do do business with. And AbSA Bank, a, a preeminent commercial bank on the continent, invests massively, right? We work closely with our supply chain partners to put together a structured vehicle to deploy large amounts of capital into traditionally underserved communities to mechanize those communities, grow those communities and accomplish that kind of shared prosperity that we set out to to do and that's just a one step in that in that same direction and if it works you can see a lot more money coming from a lot of different places to realize the full dream because the case will have been proven, as you say. Yeah. How did the idea come about? So I come from finance. So that's where I'm most comfortable. And um, I was doing investment banking right before the financial crisis. Was getting kind of annoyed with my job and not really enjoying it as much as I should. And so I just decided to quit. I had already started to to moonlight, do some uh, consulting work in the microfinance space. Um, that's banking for base of the pyramid populations. That was exciting. That was my first time working in Africa. I was actually in South Africa. I joined the board of a group called Shared Interests that provides credit guarantees, mostly in the microfinance space. Um, And I just started taking on work and eventually decided to quit that job and focus on deal structuring to bring more capital into um, the financial sector, servicing low-income communities. And that eventually migrated over to agriculture because I just saw the importance of the industry And just the lack of commercial solutioning in that industry. And when you when you start to observe some of the challenges that seem so obvious to solve, you can't help but get excited about what you could potentially do um, and leave in leaving your mark on such a important part of the economy. And I mean, read the regional economy. Um, so that was my motivation. And, uh, you know, I had some pretty high ambitions when I started. And every day I'm blown away by what we're able to do. And we're just a small company. Again, like we're 70 people at Hello Tractor It's not a lot of people. Right. Um, but the work that we've been able to, to accomplish through our partners, through our customers, it's, just, it's inspiring for me. I started off by
0: describing what you do as Ubuntu meets technology Mm -hmm. meets agriculture. And I think a common thread through everything you have said is the idea of lifting as you rise, the idea of social justice, the idea of partnership and Mm -hmm. trust building with communities, the idea of everybody winning. I love that. And that's what the future is is going to be about. Leave no man behind. This has been another episode of What's Trading.